Um, that as we start in the book of James, we started last week, um, I want to acknowledge at the very beginning of the message time today that this is a really bizarre way of opening up a letter. You heard the text read to us right before we sang Amazing Grace, and it's shocking, right? It's a very bizarre way of opening up a correspondence with people that are dispersed, So last week, if you're here, you know, maybe you found some encouragement from the first word, Kyrene, right? A warm, friendly greeting from James, meeting you right where you're at, no matter where you are at. God's Word can meet you there. Maybe that was comforting at the end of verse 1, but what in the world was James doing at the beginning of verse 2? It's pretty shocking. Greetings. A warm, friendly hello and a well-wishing to you. Be upon all who receive this message. Now tally up all the various trials that you're facing and define it as all joy. What? Like, that doesn't compute. I actually tried to soften the reality of the text, of the blow of the reality of the text, right? By reading it in other translations. I was like, well, maybe, maybe the other translations will help me. Maybe I can find some comfort there. But they all communicated the same thing, just with different words. No version really softened the blow for me. Every one of them was shocking when I read it, when I read verse 2. So I want to acknowledge that this is a bizarre way of opening up a letter. But James didn't just write this for the shock factor. This was strategic and intentional. It did act like a jolt to the system, and as we begin to make our way through the whole of the letter, we need to be reminded of what we hear today, because with a few strokes of a pen, James essentially redefines what it means to be okay in this world that's filled with devils and difficulties. That's what he's doing, redefining our definition of being okay. So now I want to readily admit, listen, that none of what I say today will be able to eliminate the problems that you're experiencing in your life. I can't just, I don't have that type of fairy dust. I wish I did, but I don't. I can't get rid of the problems that you are facing. But some of what I share today and what might be shared from God's Word might help to normalize the trouble that you are experiencing And it might provide the Holy Spirit with the leverage your mind needs in order to shift your perspective on the troubles that you're facing. So that's my personal prayer and the God-honoring goal that we're shooting for today. This teaching and this take on trials, if we allow it to sink deep into our psyche will change absolutely everything about every experience you ever face in any and every situation, in every season of your life, and for the rest of your life, while borrowing breath from Almighty God on this planet. Whoa. And what James is saying is not just a teaching or a take, it's truth. This truth has the capacity to change your perspective on everything. 
It's pregnant with the power and the possibility and the potential to redeem and redefine every experience that you have ever experienced. And if you think that I'm just up here over speaking here, I'm not. I'm not. So in this moment, I want everyone to look up here and connect for a moment. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not fabricating anything today. I'm not falsifying anything. This is true. I'm not over-inflating this teaching so that it can act like a life raft that you can cling to or at least attempt to cling to when the troubles of this life come your way and the sea billows roll and you sink. That's not what I'm doing today. These verses and the truth that we see in them will actually preserve you. I'm not overinflating it. I'm just giving you the life raft. It will uphold you and it will allow you to stay afloat in the biggest and most dangerous and perilous of ocean swells that you might face. I am serious about this today. I talked to my kids today. I said, I think this might be one of the most important messages I preach. This truth will be like a lighthouse on a distant shore that will show you the way to safety. This truth will lead you home like we just sang about, the grace that brings us safe thus far, and it was grace that brought us home. Grasping this truth of this teaching will be a precious grace from the Lord of grace that can preserve you. You must listen today. You must. Do you all hear me? Have I made it clear? Good. Because we're all accountable to what we hear today. Me too. Me too. And one day we might be asked how this truth has served us. And we will either say that we heard it and we disregarded it, or we heard it and we took great care and concern to allow it to guard us throughout all of our days. This is God's Word to us. It's to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. So let's pray. God, we, we submit ourselves now to the teaching ministry of Your Word. God, I pray that You would teach me, even as You've led my thoughts and orchestrated the study of the text for the last couple weeks, knowing that this is a big one. God, I pray that You would speak powerfully and clearly to everyone here today. I pray that we would all have ears to hear this. God, I pray that whatever it takes, if we need to stand to listen, if we need to, whatever, whatever, God, give us attention spans that are longer than normal today so that we can hear from You. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm serious. Like, if you need to stand and, like, listen or go to the back, like, you have to hear this message today. What kept coming back to my mind as I was preparing this message was one phrase, and there are so many messages that can be discerned from this text, and actually so much that we're going to have to revisit in this passage once we finish the series on James. But for today, I've sensed that the Holy Spirit wanted me to remind us all of one simple truth. 
that's contained in a simple and short five-word phrase, five short one-syllable words that can easily be remembered and that can carry the capacity to change everything about your life. And here it is. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. And you're like, what? What is it? Sounds like an early 90s band song. Remember that one? What is it, right? Never, yeah, that flew over a lot of people's heads, right? <clears throat> yeah, I might be re- able to remember the phrase, but I don't know what it means. Plus, there's two it's, right? So what are you talking about? So let's break it down. It will be worth it. The first it is what we want to talk about today. And we're starting with the first it, but I want to point out that to divine this it at the front end of our sentence, we're going to have to go to the back end of the verses that we're studying today. And we will not start our study in verse 2 and then make our way to verse 4. We're actually going to go from verse 4 and eventually make our way to verse 2. So let's look at the final few phrases of our text so that we can find out what it is. James chapter 1 verse 4 says this, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Look at what the text says. There at the tail end of verse 4, we actually get a glimpse of something spectacular. At the end of verse 4, we see a person who is existing the way that humans were created by God in the first place to exist. Verse 4 shows us a picture of perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, humanity. A human is described with these words. This is a human who is experiencing ultimate contentment. Things are as they should be for this person. They actually lack nothing. They are mature. They're fully grown. They're complete. The word actually in there is perfect. Is even in this sentence that's describing a human. So if I surveyed the congregation today and I asked, well, who wants to be perfect? Who wants to be complete? Who wants to be lacking in nothing? I would assume that many, if not all of our hands, would go up. Yes, that sounds pretty good. If my human experience would be more mature, more complete, more lacking in nothing, that's, that's a good thing, right? I'd want that. So let's look closer at this verse and ask the Lord to help us see what He wants us to see. And it's not hard to notice the word perfect in our verse. It sticks out to us because we've been trained to marvel at things that are spellbounding to us. Not many things in life can be described as quote-unquote perfect, especially humans. So it sticks out to us in this verse. Perfect. The word James uses is teleos. It is a word that pertains to something that is fully accomplished or finished. It's complete, it's finished, or it's whole. And in this context, it's something that is experienced in ending. Finished. Mature, complete, whole. 
It's actually the same word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, where we read this. You, therefore, must be perfect. You must be teleos, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus uses it twice in this verse. Our heavenly Father is perfect, or complete, or whole, and those who are subjected to His kingship must be like Him in that way as well. God is the standard, and the Sermon on the Mount is the exposition on how humans are to live under the rule and the reign of King Jesus. You have heard such and such said, but I say to you, that's the mantra that Jesus repeats. There's a whole new way that you can live your life if you are subjected to the King of Kings. Is what Jesus is teaching. And in our text today, in the James text, we can see that yes, indeed, there is a whole new way of looking at things that you experience in life if you are a person who walks more by faith than by sight. Well, how do I get there? How do I become more godly? How do I become more Christ-like or God-like? How do I become more mature and complete, lacking in nothing and whole? Well, there's a process for that. There's a process that we must enter into, and we're going to discover it when we look at the last it of our sentence. But before I do that, I want to jump over to something very similar that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers at Thessalonica. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Because as Paul is closing his letter to the Thessalonians, he utilizes the word teleos, but he actually attaches another word to it to amplify it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23, it's going to be on the screen, but it's in your scriptures as well. This is what it says. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you. Halateles. Completely. And may your halakleros, whole spirit and soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we see here is Paul stretching to find language to describe what that relationship with Christ can do to your life. Sanctified, set apart completely. And the totality of your spirit, soul, and body kept blameless. This is a pretty all-encompassing view of what redemption is supposed to look like in the life of a person who expresses faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the ESV uses the word completely, but it's really not a strong enough translation. The NASB says entirely. The King James Version says wholly with a W, like completely. And I think all those are really kind of dancing around it a bit. But this word that Paul uses is the same word that James uses. And perhaps there's something even more thorough to describe what Paul is getting at and what James is getting at. Because what Paul does here is he uses a compound word. And the compound word is this, hala teles. Teles is the word that we already looked at. 
meaning complete or whole. And this other word, hala, is entire or all. So then what they do is he smashes those words together and you get something stronger than completely. You get something stronger than entirely. It's more like entirely, completely, or all the way, in every aspect, whole. The English idiom would be like through and through. And in fact, that's how the NIV translates it. So every aspect of your life has to be submitted to the sanctification process according to Paul and James. And it is God who does that work in you and you cooperate with Him. Sanctified through and through. Set apart through and through and through. And if we carry this reality back to our text that we're preaching from today, we're actually going to see a very practical application of that process. Because who among us today would be deceptive and deceitful enough to stand up to everyone assembled here and say, you know what? I have no trials in my life. Everything, in my estimation, is always how it should be. Everything is as it should be in my marriage. Everything is as it should be in my parenting. Everything is as it should be in my relationships with all members of my family or my extended family and even my friendships and even all my church relations. Everything is as it should be as me as a student at school and my friends there. Everything is as it should be in all my work relationships. I never experience any type of trial whatsoever in any area of my life. In fact, I don't even battle my old sin nature anymore. What trials? I have no trials to speak of here. If anyone would dare to stand up and say that to the assembly here today, I think you'd see everyone around them scatter in fear because their pants are getting ready to catch on fire. <laughs> Liar! <clears throat> no one in their right mind would say that. Maybe, maybe in one of those categories, but not all of them. And I think you would see that if they are in that situation, maybe they're really just good at stuffing or pretending and not really dealing with reality. But all that stuffing and pretending will eventually lead to an experience of instability in their emotions and it will trigger them to honestly second-guess their perspective on their life. And then in that moment... They will see that, yes, maybe I am experiencing a trial, a various kind of trial. And when they think that thought, like we all do, what they will be thinking about is the last it in our sentence. So I want to talk about the last it. It, being mature and complete, will be worth it. The last it in our sentence is a stand-in for the various kinds of trials that we face in life and the bumpy road of progress that we find ourselves on. So we started at verse 4, but now let's work our way back through the text and look at verses 
the second half of verse 2 and verse 3 because it says this, When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so we said that it will be worth it. And what we mean by that is the experience of being perfect, complete, and whole will be worth whatever the process might be in order to achieve such a status. The experience of being more conformed to the image of Christ, perfect like the Heavenly Father is perfect as well, or into the image of Christ, the true and the complete second Adam, a human who lived the way we all ought to live and image God rightly, is so worth whatever means it takes to get there. So let's look at the intended, purpose-filled means by which God uses to sanctify us through and through. How is He going to get us there? The means that He has decided to use are trials that come in a variety pack. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not one big, massive, universal test. It's actually a moment-by-moment, situation-by-situation, incessant testing of our faith. Yikes. For real? you got to be kidding me. Well, ask anyone that you consider to be mature in the faith, and they'll say, yep, that's how it worked for me. Various kinds of trials. Trials like how you react when you stub your toe, or when you experience annoyance or rightful disappointment. Or how you process experiencing a set of unexpected circumstances that are completely outside of your immediate control and everything in between. We're talking about any and every trial. I actually think it takes an incredible amount of faith just to wake up every day on this planet and attempt to make it till sundown. Because you know that there's going to be trials. In the day. This place is wonderful. And there's beauty everywhere. But it's like we're walking around in a minefield of brokenness. I was thinking about this as I was shopping at Costco this week. If life on this planet was like shopping at Costco, just by being human, we've all forked over a fortune and came home with a variety pack of trials that we can shove in our pantries and dig out and consume on a daily basis. A variety pack so big and so thorough that it will last a lifetime and we're locked in. We can't cancel the membership. There's no return policy. We're stuck with them. We have to eat every last one of them. That's the process. Trials that are thorough and extensive and yet placed in our path by design to reveal our nature and our character. So let's inspect this process, shall we? Look at the first part of our passage. It says that we are met with the various kinds of trials, but we know something about their presence in our life. 
Look at that word on verse 3. For you know. That word is critical and key. There is something that we need to know about the word know. The word know means to be in possession of information. So we experience trials, but we are in possession of information that can help us endure them. And we will see that this information is moment by moment, and we'll see what the information is in the moment, but there's something else that we need to know about the word know. In our text, the word know is a present active participle. For those that are not good at English, that just means like a verb with an I-N-G on it. It means that there's ongoing, continued action. A present active participle indicates that there's something that is going on that needs to continue going on and continue parading across our minds at all times. Because that's how variety, that's how various our trials are. Okay, here's another trial. But I know something about it. It's here for a reason. Okay, here's another trial that's coming down the conveyor belt at me, right? But I know something. It too is here for a reason. Okay, I wasn't expecting this to happen, and it wasn't on my calendar or my planner, but lo and behold, another trial has presented itself, and I know too that it here is also for a reason. And that means, listen, that means I am not at the mercy of the trial. The trial is at the mercy of me. This trial that has come my way is actually serving me. I'm not at its mercy. It's at the mercy of me. This is testing my faith. Faith is what the author of Hebrews says is what pleases God. What is faith? Faith is really just an open hand saying, I have nothing, I need to come to you. Faith is defined as believing what God says and acting on it. No matter what we think or how we feel, because we know that God promises a good result in His own time if we do so. So every time we open up one of these variety pack of trials, or if it's sovereignly opened up and force-fed to me, I can know that it's being used of God to produce something in me that James calls steadfastness. We're actually going to look at this concept a few more times in the book of James. The fact that James includes this multiple times in the short letter indicates to me that this is something that needs to be put before our minds over and over again. This isn't in this way like riding a bike. Once you learn to ride a bike, you can kind of always know how to ride a bike. But this, being steadfast, is a continual process of relearning. The concept of steadfast, I think, is evidenced in couples that have been married for a long time and they've walked through various seasons of life from friendship to dating to engagement to marriage to the honeymoon phase to the child-raising years to empty nesting to grandparenting and then finally saying goodbye. Each phase of life brings with it a unique set of opportunities to relearn how to love one another in that season. That's what steadfast looks like. 
The same is true with developing a steadfastness about us. It will continually and constantly be maturing and getting better and more robust with time, aged like a fine wine. It is the testing of our faith that produces steadfastness. And like it or not, it's God's method. To be steadfast is to adhere to a course of action in spite of difficulties and testings. There's a lot of speed bumps, but I'm on this road. I'm going that way. It's maintaining a stick with the program attitude. And if we maintain that stick with the program attitude, if you let that faithfulness have its full effect in you, you will be in possession of the first it we talked about earlier. You will be refined into the way that you are intended by God to be. You will be whole and complete. It, the end result of being like Christ, the true model of redeemed humanity will be worth it, the process through which He was put through in order for us to get there. Wow. That is a powerful claim, James. Yes, indeed it is. And what I'm about to say next is absolutely revolutionary to your life. Let this settle and sink in for a moment as I ask you this question. Do you want to be like Christ? Think about that. Do you want to be like Christ? Don't just don't just not think about think about do you really want to be like him? Do you want to be like the one human who lived the way humans should live and walk with God without hindrance or hesitation or hiding from Him like Adam and Eve did in the garden? Do you want this type of relationship with your Creator? Because God sovereignly set up a system for His very own beloved Son to walk for 33 years in a world of trouble. Jesus actually said he set his face to go to Jerusalem knowing what would happen to him there. He endured the trial of sleeping friends in his time of need. He endured the trial of being betrayed by one of them with a kiss. He remained steadfast in the garden when he experienced the silence of heaven while he was pleading for a cup to pass. He endured the agony of being forsaken by His Father on the cross. Do you want to be like Christ? All these ongoing tests for 33 years, but even to the last moment of His tested life, He remained resolutely, steadfastly committed to His Father's sovereign plans because with His dying breath, He confidently quotes, Psalm 31, 5. 
a scripture that he had put to memory. And what did he say? Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Jesus went through the most horrific, unjust trial of all time and yet remained steadfast in His commitment to His Father's plan. Because it was the Father's plan to bring many sons to glory by making the founder of their salvation teleos through suffering. Perfect through suffering. God has sovereignly set up a system for us to be like Christ. And He went before us doing it. And we must let faithfulness have its full effect in us. So, do you want to be like Christ? Then you must walk as He did. And allow God to shape and mold you through the trials that you consume as you consume the contents of a variety pack of trials in your life, do you want to be like Christ? Then you must share in His suffering. And if you do, maybe not now or next week, but one day, when He makes His appearance and you see Him, and then you look at yourself and you see His resemblance in you, you'll say, it was worth it. Let's pray. God, as we close our message and we sing an old hymn, that is a prayer for us to be like You. God, I pray that in these moments that You would help us to have that mindset. God, I pray that as we sing this song, that we would see that to be like the blessed Redeemer, this is our constant longing and prayer, that we would gladly forfeit all of earth's treasures just to be like you. God, I pray that you would help these words ring true in our hearts. And God, there's more to say in this passage, and we'll say it after singing the song. But I pray that right now you would teach us in this moment as we sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and let's sing three verses of O to be like thee. And then I'm going to close with the benediction. To be like the blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like Thee, oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as Thou art. Come in Thy sweetness, come in Thy fullness.
darkness stamp thine own image deep on my heart. 